Hello and welcome to the 26th July edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor for this recording. The team for this week's edition comprises Duncan Wynne as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and our readers today are myself, Catherine Neal, Phil Lee, and Jane Fairs. And I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to our new member of the team, Jane, who joins us today and hopefully for the foreseeable future. And good luck, Jane. I hope you enjoy it as much as we have. So, first of all, please do keep sending us your feedback. We really do like to hear from you. Even if it's not good news, it's still important because the team here does want to make the recording as enjoyable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, either send a note back in your bag or ring us on telephone number 01905 767 766. And please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. As usual, we'll have the headline stories, followed by local news, some sport, selected radio programmes, obituaries, thought for the day and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add your name to the birthday file. All the items follow on and you can stop and start them using the big buttons on your player. You can also hear the recording on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk. This also has the magazine and past recordings. And as I think you know, you can now also get podcasts of all the recordings. A quick reminder that there is our wonderful talking book library available. It's free. It's been constantly updated and we can provide a list of the books available either in large print, hard copy, tape or USB stick. I'd also like to uh, draw listeners' attention to our 40th anniversary celebration, which is happening in two days' time. That's on Saturday, the 28th of July. It's from 2.30 to 4.30pm and it's taking place in the Commandry Garden, Sidbury in Worcester. The postcode for that if you need it is WR12HU and I believe there is a car park not too far away um, opposite the City Walls Road, Sidbury Crossroads. So do come along if you possibly can and see what we do for blind and sight impaired people in the city. There'll be live music from the Cocktail Hour Band and refreshments available. And if you're lucky, you might meet one or two of us because I think we're going to turn up. Some of us are, hopefully, anyway. So that's on Saturday, 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. Right, on to the main headlines for this week. They are Man Admits Damaging Hospice Giraffe, Drugs Gang Gets 27 Years, Police Plea Over Mosque Protest, Acid attack on toddler. And the story runs on because the next headline is acid attack wasn't racially motivated. And even again, our support for acid attack toddler. So we've got quite a lot of stories on that one. Right. uh, If you'd like to start with the main headline story, Catherine, that's over to you. Thank you, Pippa. So this is the headline story for Thursday, July the 19th. Man admits damaging hospice giraffe. Police say they have interviewed a man after he admitted knocking over one of the Worcester Stands tall giraffe sculptures. 
Shocked eyewitnesses watched as a man charged at the giraffe outside the Pret Café on the cross and knocked over the sculpture on Tuesday evening. The giraffe, called, called Gregory, had to be removed after the attack and a photo of a man said to be the culprit has been shared on social media. A spokesman from West Mercia Police said yesterday criminal damage was reported to police at 9.17pm on July the 17th. The damage is believed to have been caused at around 8.30pm in St Swithin Street, Worcester. A male has admitted damaging an ornamental giraffe at the location. The giraffe has been removed and the area made safe. The man is due to be interviewed later today. A 21-year-old woman told the Worcester News how she witnessed the vandalism taking place. I saw a man take a run up to the giraffe and he used his shoulder to push it to the floor. He then walked off towards the Crown pub and started kicking things down there. A woman that also saw chased after him and convinced him to come back to the giraffe. When he came back, he was very drunk and was told it was for charity and what he had done was very disrespectful. And he apologised and said he would stand holding the giraffe up until someone came to fix it. Another person posted on social media that they saw the man trying to climb onto the giraffe the same night. The giraffe was part of the Worcester Stands Tall Art Trail, a project raising money for St Richard's Hospice's Build 2020 appeal to expand its premises in order to care for more people. Sarah Matthews, the project manager for Worcester Stands Tall, was showing her friend around the art trail in the city when she had a call to say one of the giraffes had been damaged. It's just so frustrating, she told the Worcester News. The amount of time and effort and money that has gone into this. It took the artist three weeks to paint the giraffe. All that effort, and it's gone within a matter of seconds. It's damaged just like that. The giraffe was one of 30 towering sculptures located in the city as part of the art trail. Um, there are police updates on at worcesternews.co.uk. So there you are. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. The headline for Friday, July 20th read, Drugs Gang Get 27 Years. A drugs kingpin and his gang, including a getaway driver who ran over a police officer in Worcester during a botched escape attempt, have been jailed for more than 27 years. The gang ran a so-called County Lines conspiracy, trafficking heroin and crack cocaine into Worcester from Birmingham. All four defendants were jailed at Hereford Crown Court on Wednesday following dramatic arrests as part of Operation Blade, an initiative to, to sever the supply lines of Class A drugs between major metropolitan cities like Birmingham and smaller cities like Worcester. Kingpin Asgar Kalfa, aged 33, of Townley Gardens, Aston, Birmingham, his trusted lieutenant Terry Melson, aged 22, of no fixed abode, and Melson's driver Christopher Franklin, 35, of Barbourne Road, Worcester, all admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine between January the 1st and October the 16th last year. Another conspirator, Worcester taxi driver Shaka Hussein, aged 38 of Compton Road, Worcester, denied the conspiracy and possession of criminal property. But he was found guilty by a majority verdict after the trial, the first trial having collapsed because of a suspected attempt to interfere with a juror by the defendant's brother, the court heard. Franklin further admitted Section 20, grievous bodily harm and dangerous driving. Calvert further admitted possession of criminal property and production of crack cocaine.
He was described by Stephen Bailey, prosecuting, as the kingpin and a financial ghost who used street dealers and trusted lieutenants to remain under the radar while organising the trafficking of heroin and crack cocaine into Worcester, putting out adverts to users. His chauffeur, Hussein, booked City Nights apartments in Arena View, Edward Street, Birmingham, under his own name, later used by Calfer as a crack cocaine factory. Franklin was described as a known drug addict who was working as a driver for Melsom to fund his habit. When arrested, Franklin offered to testify against his conspirators. co-conspirators. Sorry. The conspiracy was foiled in dramatic fashion when police officers swooped on two cars in Worcester on October 16th last year. Police attempted to stop a Vauxhall Zafira driven by Franklin with Melsom in the passenger seat in Shrubbery Avenue. Mr Bailey described how DC Simon Lloyd, wearing plain clothes, got out of his car and held out his badge. But Franklin drove over his foot, fracturing the officer's right leg and damaging ligaments, which later required reconstructive (coughs) surgery. The injuries have caused lasting nerve damage and ongoing pain. The officer has been able to return to work despite having been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and was present at court, supported by his family, to watch the defendants jailed. After the incident, Franklin drove off in a dangerous manner, causing oncoming vehicles to swerve, drove blind through a one-way street and turned at such speed that one of the wheels left the ground. The car was stopped at the Pitchcroft car park and police secured the keys to Franklin's Worcester bedsit, suspected to be a hub for local dealers, and there they found £470 in cash and traces of heroin. On the same day, police stopped Hussein's taxi in Loves Grove next to Worcester Police Station. Inside the Mercedes, they found Calfa and £1,890 of criminal cash. On the morning of his arrest, Calfa's phone received calls from 25 users who were trying to get drugs. Mr Bailey said during the course of the sophisticated conspiracy, Calfa had 20 separate unregistered mobile phones or SIM cards, changing them regularly when his street dealers were arrested, so that he could stay one step ahead of the police and avoid detection. Calfa already had 27 drugs offences on his record, including three drug trafficking convictions, and has spent a third of his life in prison. He was jailed for two and a half years in 2004 for possession of heroin with intent to supply. For eight years in October 2007 for conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine and for four and a half years in November 2013 for possession of heroin and crack cocaine with intent to supply. He was also on licence at the time he committed this latest drugs conspiracy, considered along with his previous convictions to be aggregating features. Mr Bailey said of Calfa, he's the kingpin, this is a business and a profitable one. He told the judge it was difficult to quantify the amount of drugs and cash in the conspiracy, but said it was likely to involve between 20 and 50 deals per day over a period of 280 days, which would mean many thousands of deals. He said one of the street dealers linked to the conspiracy, Joshua Mills, was earning £1,000 a week in Worcester, twice what his father earned. Gerard Cullen, for Calfer, conceded his client had an unenviable record, but suggested that his regular journeys from Birmingham to Worcester showed he was not the kingpin. He added, if he was such a ghost, so far up the ladder, he would not dirty his hands by operating the dealer line himself. There are people further up the chain than him. He also said Calfer had been an addict himself and had spent a third of his life behind bars. 
Sophie Murray, for Hussein, said her client had a virtually unblemished record and had worked as a taxi driver in Worcester for 15 years. She said, He was someone who was naive, utilised and duped into his position under the influence of a much more sophisticated criminal who wanted to stay off radar. His good nature was abused in this regard. Richard Hull for Franklin said, Your Honour will have read of the remorse he feels. He says he wants to change his ways. He said Franklin lost his job as a plasterer when his employers found out about his previous convictions and fell back into drug use. Puneet Grewal for Melsom said her client got into the drug dealing to pay off a court fine of £4,800, had no family, his father having died when he was 11 and his mother when he was 15. Miss Grewal said that he had been living in a hostel and sofa surfing. Judge Nicholas Cole said, The supply of Class A drugs causes misery and results in crime within the local community. It caused ill health to those addicted to such drugs. The judge jailed Kalfa for 12 years, Hussein for four years, Franklin for five and a half years, and Melson for six years and five months. Franklin was also banned from driving for 45 months and must complete an extended driving retest if he wants to apply for his licence again, concurrently in prison. And this is the headline for Saturday, July the 20, 21st. Police plea over mosque protest. Patience and tolerance appeal ahead of EDL rally. A police chief has called for patience and tolerance ahead of a far-right rally in the city. The English Defence League, the EDL, will hold a demonstration in the city centre today over plans to build a £3 million mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester. Two counter-protests have been organised by people who oppose the action. A dance festival, which was supposed to take place today, has been cancelled due to safety. Concerns over the rallies. Chief Superintendent for Hereford and Worcestershire, Mark Travis, said, I am appealing for patience and tolerance. The strength of Worcester is considered a community that may not agree with, but will tolerate the views of others. Christian and Muslim leaders came together in the run-up to the protest by having tea at Worcester's Guildhall on Tuesday in a display of solidarity between the two religions. City Councillor Yabarayas, the Mayor of Worcester, said, I wanted to bring together people from our different faiths and communities to make a clear point that Worcester is a city of love, not hate. Dr John Inge, the Bishop of Worcester, added that the city is a friendly and peaceful place where people from all faiths can live happily together. Syed Dr Sharif al-Husseini, the mayor's Muslim chaplain, said, Human hearts all share one parent hearts. Human souls are all noble souls that aspire to reach the same divine destination. Let us all live with noble morals. Let us love each other. Police Inspector Tanya Beckett and Police Sergeant Carl Jones also attended the event at the Guild Hall. Laura Lane, aged 26, has organised a counter-protest to take place next to the, Edgar, oh, the Edward Elgar statue in Worcester's High Street at 1.30pm. The university student plans to hand out copies of a famous poem about Nazi persecution called First They Came. Worcester Trades Union Council has set up another rally against the EDL march, which will start in Call Market at 1pm. 
Meanwhile, Dancefest said it regretted having to cancel its Watch Out Worcester event today. A statement on the organisation's website said, in light of the protests taking place in Worcester City Centre, the safety of those taking part and watching has to be our priority. Massive thanks to all artists and organisations who have been working so hard with us on this afternoon of free art. We are very sorry and sad that the event is unable to go ahead, but we hope to work with them again in the future. The EDL demonstration starts at 1.30pm in the city centre. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association previously said it needs a mosque with more room for its growing number of worshippers. Its current mosque in Tallow Hill has enough prayer space for 500 people, whereas the proposed building will be able to accommodate around 1,300 worshippers. The Tallow Hill Mosque would be turned into an education centre under the plans. And the headline for Monday the 23rd of July, Acid Attack on Toddler. A three-year-old boy has been seriously injured in a suspected acid attack in a city shop. He was taken to hospital with serious burns to his arms and face after he was injured in Home Bargains on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Tallow Hill, Worcester, at 2.15pm on Saturday. The boy was discharged from hospital on Sunday afternoon and police said the long-term effect of his injuries was not yet known. A 39-year-old man from Wolverhampton has been arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm. Police have released images of three men they wish to question in relation to the incident. Chief Superintendent Mark Travis said, At this time, we're treating this as a deliberate attack on a three-year-old boy. The incident will rightly shock the local community, and I would like to reassure local people that we're carrying out a thorough investigation to identify those responsible. At this time, the motive for the attack is unclear. Officers are working hard to establish exactly what happened and what the substance involved was. The three men in the photo may have information vital to our investigation. I'm sure someone will recognise them, and I would urge anyone with information to contact us as a matter of urgency. Rachel Bryant, 22, was shopping in the area at the time of the attack. I'd been shopping with my mum and we were heading to Home Bargains when there were loads of police and ambulances, she said. I saw a woman crying and being comforted by police. When I heard about the little boy being attacked with acid, I couldn't believe it. I assumed the woman I saw could have been his mum or relative. It's horrendous to think something like this could happen to a little boy in the middle of a shop on a Saturday afternoon. The store reopened at around 11.40am on Sunday morning after assurances from the police. Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, described the incident as horrific. He said, The shock will be universal. Anyone conducting such an attack on a small boy is just appalling. It's an issue upon which... Rightly, there has been a lot of concern in Parliament and a move to toughen sentences for any kind of acid attack. Worcester City Council leader Mark Bayliss said the suspected attack was absolutely pure evil. I have never heard of an acid attack in Worcester, so this is not something we have any experience of. 
We need to bring the perpetrators to justice and quickly. Think, if this was a member of your family, an innocent child, a three-year-old, probably scarred or damaged for life. The man who's been arrested is still in custody. Anyone with information about the incident, which took place at around 2.15pm, can call 999, quoting Incident 442S of July 21, 2018. Alternatively, call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. And the headline story for Tuesday, July 24th, continues this and updates uh, us all. The headline is Acid Attack wasn't racially motivated, too early to say if toddler's burns are life-changing. Police say it's too soon to tell whether the toddler targeted in an acid attack has suffered life-changing burns and officers believe the attack was not racially motivated. The three-year-old boy was attacked on Saturday at around 2.15 in Home Bargains at Shrub Hill Retail Park in Tallow Hill, Worcester, and four men have been arrested in connection with the incident. Yesterday, West Mercia Police's Chief Superintendent Mark Travis addressed the media, media, saying that the attack did not appear to be racially motivated and had nothing to do with the English Defence League demonstration and counter-protests on Saturday afternoon. Three men aged 22, 25 and 26 were arrested in London on Sunday night on suspicion of grievous bodily harm. This followed police releasing a CCTV image of three men they wanted to question in relation to the attack. Another man, a 39-year-old from Wolverhampton, arrested on Saturday, remains in police custody on suspicion of conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm. Mr Travers said, We will not release information about the ethnicity of the family as there is no evidence that this is a racially motivated incident. Acid is not the way to resolve a dispute. We are keeping all options open and at present we do not know the motivations of the attack. We believe the acid was sprayed or thrown at the boy and that he was targeted. He has suffered burns to the face and arms. It is too early to say if they're life-changing. We are hopeful they will not be. He has been released from hospital but is being cared for by specialists at home. We currently have four suspects in custody. This will be a long and complex investigation. I would like to reassure people that incidents of this nature are very rare in Worcester. I would like to thank everyone in our local community and across the country for their help and support with this investigation. The response to the images we released has been fantastic. This has been a shocking incident which we know has caused a great deal of concern in our community. I can reassure people that Worcester remains a safe place to live and work. Our thoughts are with the little boy and his family at this time, and we are absolutely committed to getting to the bottom of this incident. We would ask that the media continues to respect their privacy at this difficult time. We're not issuing any further information regarding their identities for operational reasons. I'd like to pay tribute to my officers, some of whom have worked for 24 hours without rest on this investigation and have done a thorough and painstaking job. The operation has been a great example of partnership work across this police force, but also with other forces across the country. There is still work to do. 
and for keeping an open mind as to the circumstances of the incident, we're still appealing for anyone with information to come forward and help us with our inquiries. Anyone with information can call police on 101, quoting incident 442S of July the 21st. Thank you. Um, very much the same story. The headline on Wednesday read, Our Support for Acid Attack Toddler. Wellwishers from across the country are rallying in support of the three-year-old boy who survived an acid attack in the city centre. The youngster was taken to hospital with serious burns to his arms and face after he was injured in home bargains on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Tallow Hill, Worcester, at 2.15 on Saturday. Following the shocking attack, hundreds of people from all over the world have rallied to support the tot who is now at home receiving specialist care. Meanwhile, a fifth arrest has been made by police in connection with the ongoing investigation. The man, aged 41, from Wolverhampton, has been arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm. A 39-year-old man from Wolverhampton and three men, aged 22, 25 26, from London, have already been arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm and remain in custody at this time. According to the Daily Mail, the 39-year-old man is the father of the three-year-old boy. However, this has not been confirmed by police. Several people launched fundraising pages in aid of the child. Victoria Hurley of Rhondda Cullen Taff, South Wales, is hoping to raise £200 for the youngster. The 22-year-old mum, who has sons aged 2 and 13 weeks, said, It is one of those things that makes you feel like you're going to be sick. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Not just about the boy, but about his parents, how his mother, his father and his grandparents must feel. It happened in a shop I take my children to every week. He was in a puss chair. That emphasises just how young he was. It is one thing to hurt a child. An acid attack is something different, with a lifelong scar. If that happened to my little boys, I would never leave them alone again. How are they going to manage if his parents won't leave his side? How are they, are they going to be OK for money? How are you going to live? Maybe his family can take him away somewhere and have family time together, or even have the money for when he is older, even if it is only £100. She added that police have told her that they should be able to arrange to pass the money to the boy's family. Darren Street of Ride Isle of Wight is hoping to raise £10,000 to fund a holiday to Disneyland Orlando for the boy. The 44-year-old, who runs a recruitment firm, is father to five children. He said... This innocent three-year-old boy was unnecessarily attacked by three men. A three-year-old boy who does not even understand hate or evil, yet he was subjected to this horrific attack. I often listen to Midlands News because I used to live there. When I listened to what had happened, I had tears in my eyes. Hopefully this child will not remember this horrific event, but even so, I am sure they will be scarred. This will not heal the injuries he has deliberate, which were deliberately inflicted, but it will hopefully restore faith in this little boy that the world is not such a bad place and he can create some wonderful memories. Mr Street, who is married to his 39-year-old wife, Lisa, said, When I see stories like this, I try to help people. He said he will contact the police to hand over the money and said that if he had to, he would personally take it to them in cash. A West Mercia police spokesman said they were speaking with the family liaison officer to find out if arrangements can be made for the money to be sent to the family once the campaigns are complete. 
To view the fundraising appeals, visit justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash acid attack hyphen three-year-old or justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Victoria hyphen Hurley, H-U-R-L-E-Y. Speaking on the fifth arrest, D.I. Jim Bayliss said, Our officers are continuing to work extremely hard on this investigation. At this time, we believe that this to be an isolated incident and that there is not a wider risk to the public. Anyone with information should call the police with their, um, that could help the police with their inquiries should call 101, quoting, as we heard, incident 442S of July 21st. Alternatively, information can be provided anonymously to the independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 So that concludes the headlines for the previous week. Before we move on to our local news stories, I have an important announcement which I probably should have made at the beginning, but I'm putting it in here and now, which we have been asked to uh, share with all our listeners, and it concerns the general data protection regulations. So the piece of paper says, this is an important notice. Please listen carefully. Have I given enough fanfares and trumpets for that? Here we go. On the 25th of May 2018, GDPR became law. It means that everyone has to give permission for any business or organisation to hold information about you, i.e. your name, address and telephone number. In order for Worcester Talking News to send you weekly recordings, books or the magazine, we need to hold your name, address and telephone number. These are held very securely and are only available to the administrator who receives and dispatches your wallet. You do not need to do anything if you are happy with this arrangement. However, if you do not wish us to hold your information, please tell us. Either leave a telephone message on 01905 767 766 or put a note in your wallet. This will, however, mean that you will no longer be able to receive recordings and, if you have any of our equipment, we will need to collect it. Should you have any questions, please contact us, as detailed earlier. It may also be helpful to let someone else listen to this announcement if you are unsure. We hope you continue to enjoy our recordings but we are required by law to make this information available to you. So that's the piece of heavy stuff. And we'll now return to lightweight news. No, much more. I'm sure there's lots of good news. And Jane, would you like to kick off with local stories? Yes, this is Readers Have Their Say on Glass Hotel. And this is the proposed four-star hotel replacing the grandstand in Worcester. Readers have had their say on the ambitious proposal of a glass hotel for Worcester Racecourse. We reported the upmarket hotel, envisioned by retired businessman Clive Parks, is estimated to cost between £75 and £100 million. The hotel will take the place of the current grandstand, with plans to rebuild a new grandstand and car park. Potential secondary plans of a skywalk, 
and development of restaurants and bars under the railway arches have been linked to the plans by Mr Parks. Rich Adams said on Facebook, The racecourse is far overdue for some investment. Lee Thomas added, About time the racecourse got a revamp. Jason White said, Looks fantastic. Skywalk, Riverside upgrades and a brand new hotel. What are we waiting for? Let's get on with it, pronto. Kevin Robinson said it gets my vote if it sees significant investment in the racecourse. And Jane Beaumont commented, brilliant idea. However, some readers expressed concerns over the flooding of Pittscroft and how this would affect the hotel and the likelihood of the hotel coming to fruition. John Maffs, 64, commented on spending £100 million on a new hotel in the worst flood zone you could possibly find. Well, continuing the theme of new building, uh, this is a story about the primary school which is given a green light. A new primary school will be built on the former home of the city's park and ride. Work will start on the 420-pupil North Worcester Primary Academy in Purdiswell after an application was approved by City Council planners. The school should be built by August 2019, ready for 60 reception pupils to, to start in September of that year. It will be built on land previously occupied by the city's park and ride scheme off John Comyn Drive. The park and ride scheme was scrapped by Worcestershire County Council in 2014 to save money. Kate Brunt, Chief Executive of the Rivers CE Multi-Academy Trust, which will run the school, said... This planning permission approval is the last piece in the jigsaw for Northwest Primary Academy and we're so excited that work can commence. Our team has worked tirelessly with architects and builders to produce designs for our dream school and this approval means that the site will be exactly as we had hoped. We're looking ahead now to welcoming our first cohort of pupils through the doors. It is hoped the new school will ease pressure on school places in the north of the city, particularly with the increase in demand for places with the Cherry Tree Park and Cherry Orchard developments in Beverley. At the meeting on Thursday in the Guild Hall, Chairman Councillor Chris Mitchell said, I think we can all agree that Worcester needs a primary school. And Councillor Roger Berry said the school was greatly needed and it was very exciting to see the plans approved, while Councillor Louis Stevens really welcomed the plan. With 60 places for, for reception pupils next year and 26 preschool places, the school is planning to fill its 420 capacity in the next seven years. The two-storey school will have a dedicated studio for music, technology and dance, as well as an artificial turf area for year-round sports. Mm. Sounds good. Mm. And uh, this is a story uh, entitled City Hostel opens kitchen garden. A homeless hostel has opened a kitchen garden for residents. Jonathan Sutton, the CEO of St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill, Worcester, hopes the garden will show doubters that the site is no longer a DOS house. Instead, the project is part of the hostel's new approach towards residents, which focuses on understanding trauma from their past. It is hoped residents will benefit from tending to the garden and that it will provide free produce for the hostel canteen. 
County Councillor John Smith, Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing, joined nearly 30 guests from Public Health, Worcester Community Trust, Sanctuary Housing, volunteers, local churches, youth support services, Swanswell and Caring for Communities and People to open the kitchen garden on July the 13th. The new feature was set up on an unused parcel of land overlooking Midland Road. Fruit and vegetables are now growing in the garden. Good. No takers for ex-fire station reads the headline. The city's old fire station could now be converted entirely into flats rather than include a gym and bar or restaurant as originally planned. The multi-million pound revamp of the Copenhagen Street building, which has been left empty since fire chiefs relocated in 2015, was initially given full consent in November 2016. That application included 22 apartments on the first and second floors and space for commercial use on the ground floor. It was anticipated the complex would attract big-name businesses, but developer Ash Mill has now said the ground-floor commercial accommodation has proved unlettable. The London-based firm submitted the alteration this week, asking for nine extra flats instead, with a mixture of one and two bedrooms. Five would be accessed on Copenhagen Street, two via the corner building entrance lobby and two via the building's courtyard. The developer is also asking for a buffer between the flat entrances and Copenhagen Street, which would require an increased recess depth of 750mm. Worcester City Council failed in a bid to get it snapped up by a boutique hotel operator before it was bought by Ash Mill for a seven-figure sum. The original application was backed unanimously by planning committee members. Some councillors, though, voiced dismay after failing to secure £360,000 in anticipated money towards road improvements to ease congestion. In return for planning permission, money is often handed over towards roads, open space enhancements and schools, known as Section 106 cash. But Ash Mill has agreed to stump up just 75000 after telling planning officers the scheme would be unviable if it paid a larger sum. The independent assessment was carried out, known as an open book appraisal, which led to the lower figure being agreed based on allowing the developer a 17% profit margin. Last year, the building was added to the council's in-house register of important structures, which aims at safeguarding any from demolition. This is headlined, Camp Clearance Slammed as Vile. The decision to shut down a homeless encampment has been slammed by Worcester newsreaders as vile. Police executed a dispersal order on the Riverside Camp, which sat off New Road on Bromwich Parade on Monday morning and there are now reports its former members are now sleeping rough in the city centre, and there's a picture above it of members of the homeless camp have been sleeping round the cross. Sergeant Carl Jones said there had been reports of a stabbing at the camp last week, and rumours rough sleepers were arming themselves. Writing on Facebook, Suzanne Jeffries said, I will never welcome such vile treatment of the most vulnerable members of our society. Many are suffering from mental health issues, drug addiction, and many of whom have suffered traumas in their lives that most of us would not be able to comprehend. City and County Councillor Alan Amos had praised the decision to clear the tent town, claiming he had received a number of complaints from residents about this encampment. I know the vast majority of law-abiding people 
will be welcoming its removal, he added. Amy Lee Dowd refuted the councillor's claims that the majority of residents were in favour of the removal. She said, Generally, everyone is actually disgusted at how this has been handled and how they have been treated. Val Watson said, Just because something is removed from sight, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. However, some commenters praised the removal, including Chris Walker, who claimed there was often drug paraphernalia, such as needles and syringes, lying around the camp. Similarly, Betty James said she had stopped using the path as she always felt intimidated, adding, Why should I be afraid to walk along our beautiful river? John Sutton of St Paul's Hostel said, There's more to it than homelessness, but it should motivate us to redouble our efforts and find a solution for this. There are complicated stories. It's more than about what the public see. Measles warning following outbreak. Parents are being urged to make sure their children have up-to-date vaccinations after a measles outbreak in Europe. Some 485-year-olds in Worcestershire have not had their two recommended measles, mumps and rubella, known as the MMR, vaccines, according to figures for last year. The data shows that only 92% of Worcestershire children turning five received their jabs. The European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control warns that areas in which fewer than 95% of the population are vaccinated are at a heightened risk of a measles outbreak. Helen Donovan, the Royal College of Nursing's professional lead for public health, said, Measles is extremely infectious, especially where large crowds of people gather such as at festivals or in towns. Thanks to vaccination, it has become increasingly rare in the UK, but recent increases in infection rates show we can't be complacent. The MMR vaccine is free. Getting immunised is quick and simple. An appointment with your practice nurse will only take a few minutes. She urged people to make sure their vaccinations are up to date by contacting their GP. In the UK... Babies usually receive the first MMR jab within a month of turning one, while the second is usually given after their third birthday. Children who missed their jabs can still get them free on the NHS. The number of measles cases in the UK this year is already triple the amount of 2017. See uk for updates on this story. Um, This story is headlined, Tom Succeeds in Marathon Bid. A man who ran 182 miles across Wales in less than a week, in memory of his friend who took his own life, said he was baffled he didn't get heat stroke. Tom Hunt from Worcester started the gruelling Offers Dyke Trail on July 2nd, completing it in five days, six hours and 27 minutes, averaging 32 miles a day, more than a marathon. The 26-year-old has so far raised £3,000 for mental health charity Mind, inspired by close friend Nathan Tompkins, who died in 2016, with the challenge completely self-supported. He said much of the donations came in after the Worcester News reported on the challenge, smashing his original target by more than £1,000. I actually ran 192 miles as I got lost a few times, he admitted. (laughs) With a total elevation of 29,694 feet, it's taller than the summit of Everest. 
The heat was totally ridiculous, and I'm a little baffled to how I didn't get heat stroke. But on day one, I managed to drink eight and a half litres of water with only a few toilet breaks. To stay hydrated, Tom, who'd never run a marathon before and admitted I was completely out of my depth, said he drank from streams, pubs and a farm feeder to stay hydrated. Every hour and a half, I was taking salt tablets and constantly eating salted nuts to make sure my sodium levels were up, he continued. With temperatures soaring to 30 degrees during the the expedition, which saw Tom carrying his own food and tenting equipment on his back, he also had a GPS tracker and a personal locator beacon fitted. He said day four was the hardest because the first 10 kilometres saw him climbing 700 metres. It was ridiculous. It was so steep. Before you caught your breath on the flat, you're going back down. It took it out of me. Luckily, that night he came across a pub who offered a free room and a massive burger. The next day was a breeze, he added. Tom's parents surprised him one day while he was going through the village of Newcastle, Monmouthshire, and gave him a cheese board. (laughs) Go to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Thomas O.M. Hunt to sponsor Tom. That's a great story. My next headline is Choir is Voted the Best in the World. A girls' choir from Hereford has been voted Children's Choir of the World, the first English choir to claim the title. The Cantabria Girls' Choir of Hereford Cathedral School won the title in the International Musical Eisteddfod Festival, Llangollen, in Wales. They beat off stiff competition from the USA, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India and mainland Europe. His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales is the patron of the International Eisteddfod. It was founded in 1947. This year, the festival was opened by singing sensation Alfie Bow. The Cantabria Girls, girls rather, tied in first place with the British Columbia Girls Choir. Each choir will receive a trophy. Choir director Joe Williamson said, I was speechless when I heard how well we had done and I couldn't be prouder of the girls. The girls are past winners of BBC Songs of Praise and were Bernardo's School Choir of the Year in 2017. Mrs Williamson has been voted Conductor of the Year at the International Eisteddfod in previous years. This year, she also led the girls to win the folk song category, performing Whaley Whaley and Bobby Shafto. Mrs Williamson, a globe-trotting opera singer before she became a singing teacher at Hereford Cathedral School, founded the choir more than ten years ago. Now, Cantabile has automatically qualified for the World Choir Games, which will be held in Sweden in 2019, dubbed the Grand Prix of Nations. Mrs Williamson said, There are many facets to great singing. Diction is one element, but it's also how you paint each word of a song with colour and tone. You really have to mean what you sing, and if you paint your words with colour and tone, then you make that song your own. And now for something completely different. Iron bar attacker broke man's arm. A cage fighter broke a man's arm with a metal bar at his Worcester flat because he believed the victim had put his hands down his friend's underpants. Thomas Porter, known as Tommy, struck Sean Skivington with a scaffolding bar at the victim's home in Diglas Dock Road, Worcester. The 28-year-old of Hollymount Road, Tolladine, Worcester, admitted Section 20 grievous bodily harm on the basis that he struck a single blow. He denied that he'd thrown a vodka bottle at the injured party during the incident on November 21, 2016. 
Daniel White, prosecuting, said a 999 call was received from Mr Skivington's partner who lived in the same block. She told police, they're going to kill him and there's blood everywhere. Mr Skivington initially refused to go to hospital, but when he did, it was discovered that he had a fractured right arm. He said Porter and another male had been drinking vodka that evening after an amicable afternoon watching wrestling on the television. However, when Porter returned to the room from the toilet, he turned on Mr Skivington, saying, I've just seen what you've done. I saw you with your hands down his trousers. This version of events is disputed by Mr Skivington and was described as inaccurate by Mr White. However, Jason Aris, Porter's solicitor, said his client's allegations were being investigated by police. Mr White said... A scaffolding bar of some length present in the flat for a legitimate purpose to prop open a door onto the balcony was swung by Mr Porter with great force into the right arm which was raised in defence causing the fracture. In interview, Porter described himself as a boxer and cage fighter who could handle himself. The court heard the attack had left Mr Skimmington worried and paranoid if friends come round to his house and he was constantly looking over his shoulder. He said offensive graffiti relating to Porter's allegation had appeared on his property. Because of the injury, he could no longer lift weights greater than 10 kilograms. Jason Aris, defending, said Porter had been out of trouble for eight years. He also argued that Porter, who had been working as a decorator, had various family difficulties including his mother receiving a lengthy custodial sentence, a drugs conspiracy case we previously reported. He added he did not accept any form of violence other than one single blow with the bar, which the Crown were happy to accept. He said the officer in the case wished to speak to Porter about his allegation. Mr Aris added, whether or not there are any charges are open speculation. I certainly know the Crown in the form of the police intend to investigate the allegation in due course. He, Porter, repeats the assertion that he saw Mr Skivington with his hands down his friend's underwear. Deputy Circuit Judge Philip Wassell jailed Porter for 18 months. Green light for car park solar panels. A plan to put solar panels on a city car park has moved one step further after city planners gave it the go-ahead. At Worcester City Council's planning committee, councillors agreed to the scheme to put electricity-generating solar panels on the roof of St Martin's Gate car park in the centre of the city. The planning permission follows a further £15,000 investment in the scheme by the City Council in June, which will almost double the generating capacity of the panels from 30 kilowatts to 50 kilowatts. The solar panels are expected to generate around 41,000 kilowatts a year, which will be used to generate the car park's 920 lights and four lifts. Reports carried out during the planning process say the car park uses around 181,000 kilowatts annually. A light grey canopy measuring 12 metres in width and 31 metres in length will now be built on the top of the car park to hold the panels. The canopy will be sloped from the western side of the car park down to the east to allow the panels to catch the most sunlight. The car park will be the first building owned by the City Council to carry solar panels. Work on the scheme, 
which will cost £95,000, is due to start later this year. When completed, the City Council will save money on its electricity bill by generating its own power from the sun. It will also be able to sell the excess to the national grid and receive a government payment known as a feed-in tariff. A project to put more electric car charging points in the car park will be set up after the panels are put in place. Um, Coin hoard dates back to the 1270s. A rare coin hoard of medieval long cross silver pennies found by metal detectorists in Dodder Hill was recently acquisitioned into the Worcestershire County Museum collection. Hoards of the long cross period are relatively rare, only 37 are known from the whole of England and Wales, and this is the second such hoard in the care of Museums Worcestershire, the first being from Bell Broughton. This hoard is thought to date back to the 1270s. The hoard includes two relative rarities, a complete 3AB1 penny of Hereford and a European Brabantinus. There are fewer than five Hereford 3AB1 pennies and only nine Brabants recorded in the Portable Antiquities Scheme database out of around 43,000 medieval coins. The Portable Antiquities Scheme records discoveries by metal detectorists and other members of the public. This hoard amounts to five shillings and twopence halfpenny, which would have been equivalent to over 40 days' wages in the 13th century, so it could either have been a considerable purse loss or the accumulated savings of a peasant. The coin hoard will be kept in the county thanks to generous donations from Felicity Marshall and from Worcestershire Archaeological Society. You can see the hoards in the new archaeology exhibition on ancient tracks at Worcestershire County Museum at Hartlebury Castle, which opens on July 22nd with a hands-on day of digit activities. On ancient tracks tells the story of Worcestershire's early inhabitants using archaeological finds, stunning visuals and handling objects. Thank you. We're going back in time with this next story as well, although it is headed, Meeting Fluffy is a cool thing to do. Cool off this summer at Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum with Ice Age activity sessions throughout the long holidays. A spokesman said, come face to face with a Neanderthal, crawl inside our Ice Age shelter and meet Fluffy the woolly mammoth. With the long school holidays fast approaching, Ice Age at Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum is the perfect place for families to cool off and hang out this summer. Celebrating half a million years of Worcestershire's history from the time our ancestors arrived until the end of the last Ice Age 12,000 years ago, the Found Family exhibition is on now and runs until September the 8th. The spokesman added... Ice Age has already received more than 3,000 visitors since opening in June and includes the oldest man-made artefact in the West Midlands, the bones of the last mammoth found in Northern Europe and the first geological map of Great Britain. Many of the objects in the exhibition come from Worcester Art Gallery and Museum's own collections as it is the eighth oldest collecting museum in the country. There are special family drop-in days. The spokesman said... On August the 2nd, families can make prehistoric pottery. Now there's a sentence that needs thinking about. On August the 9th, it is Cave Art Day, where you can make your own piece of cave art. And on August the 23rd, families can create Ice Age costumes and adornment. Art Gallery and Museum Manager Angie Bishop added, 
Ice Age is the perfect place for families to escape to this summer. With plenty to do, lots to learn and free admission, we hope Worcester residents will come flocking in to meet Fluffy the Woolly Mammoth and enjoy all the different activities that are on over the holidays. The Ice Age exhibition is part of Lost Landscapes, a joint project between Worcestershire Archive and Archaeological Service. I'm going to start that again. The Ice Age exhibition is part of Lost Landscapes, a joint project between Worcestershire Archive and Archaeology Service and Museums Worcestershire. Ice Age is free and open Monday to Saturday, 10.30am to 4.30pm until it closes in September. For more information, visit www.museumsworcestershire.org.uk. We'll fast forward to the Civil War now. Um, Worcester has taken another step to becoming the Civil War Centre of England after a leading historical tours company added the faithful city to its schedule. Richard Shaw, chairman of the Battle of Worcester Society, contacted the Cultural Experience Battlefield Tours Company and, as a result, a party of 15 English Civil War tourists, together with their tour guide and tour manager, paid a visit to the city. Mr Shaw said this company do battlefield tours all over the world. I've been on tours with them five times, so I wrote to the managing director pointing out that they did not do any tours of the English Civil War. The approach led to the cultural experience devising three tours. This year's party covered the early years of the Civil War. Next year, a tour will cover the middle years and in 2020, the final years, which will include the site of the Battle of Worcester fought on September 3rd, 1651. The Early Years Tour included Pike Bridge, the site of the first action of the Civil War, on September 23, 1642. The touring party also visited the Commandery, where Mr Shaw gave them a tour and also took them to Fort Royal Park. They then visited Worcester Cathedral, which was vandalised by the Parliamentary Army after the Battle of Poet Bridge. Mr Shaw gave a talk on the attack on Worcester between the 28th and 31st of May 1643 when Sir William Waller with 3,000 parliamentarians and eight cannons laid siege to the city which was defended by 1,700 royalists under Colonel William Sands, the acting governor. After numerous attacks on the Sidbury Gate, the parliamentarians left having lost five or six captains, at least 160 slain and a barge full of maimed soldiers was carried down the River Severn to Gloucester. The loss to the city was just two men and three women. Sir William Waller later wrote a letter to the city commending the courage of the women of Worcester, 400 of whom helped to maintain the city's fortifications during the siege. Mr Shaw added... It is hoped that the Cultural Experience Tour Company will visit Worcester again next year to learn of the four-month siege of 1646, but it will definitely be here in 2020 to visit the sites of the final and decisive battle on the streets of Worcester, which ended the Civil War. Well, fast forward to the present day and a rather nice article about a primary school um, receiving lessons in looking after dogs. A school has been dubbed the dog savviest school in Worcestershire. After having lessons in how to be responsible dog owners every half term this school year, 
Dogs Trust Education and Community Officer, Charlotte Paddock, has visited Cutnell Green Primary School 12 times since the start of the school year. Her visits add up to 40 hours of lessons to 120 pupils in key stages 1 and 2. Pupils have found out how to be safe around dogs, what it takes to give a dog a healthy life, how to be a responsible dog owner, and they've heard about a day in the life of a dog's trust dog. Annette Murray, a teacher at the school, said, This has definitely been a year to remember, and Charlotte has been great at keeping our children interested throughout the sessions. They all look forward to seeing her, as they've always had so much fun learning all about dogs and how to be safe around them. It does sound nice, but I'd love to know what um, lessons it comes under. <laughs> and here's another story about animals. Uh, getting a buzz from helping bees. Worcestershire has been praised for taking vital steps towards protecting the under-threat bee population. Worcestershire County Council has been recognised by Earth and Bug Life for developing a pollinator action plan. If a pollinator action plan is adopted, Worcestershire will be one of a few, of a few councils with comprehensive action plans in place. The council told the environmental groups it had a policy of allowing wild flowers to grow and said it only cuts the first metre of verges and corners necessary for highway safety. Councillor Tony Miller, cabinet member with responsibility for the environment, said pollinators, including bees, butterflies, moths and beetles, are vital for the agricultural and horticultural industries, which are both particularly important in Worcestershire. The Pollinator Action Plan that has been developed by Worcestershire County Council commits the Council to protecting pollinator habitats on land that the County Council is responsible for, such as roadside verges and County Council-run parks. The environmental groups are urging other authorities to follow Worcestershire's lead. Friends of the West Midlands campaigner, Chris Crean, said, It's fantastic that Worcestershire County Council is developing a pollinator action plan and other local authorities are taking steps to help our under-threat bees too. Paul Evans, Bug Life Pollinator Advisor, added, By developing a local pollinator action plan, local authorities can ensure that the needs of pollinators are considered across all their functions and that positive action is embedded in their work into the longer term. A YouGov poll for Friends of the Earth and Bug Life, published last year, revealed that nearly two-thirds of the public agreed councils should be doing more to help protect our bees. More than 80% of the public backed calls for councils to help Britain's under-threat bees by cutting areas of grass less often in parks and roadside verges. Friends of the Earth and Bug Life contacted all 27 county councils and had 19 replies. I'm going to read now from the Mayor's column, that's Councillor Java Riaz. It's headed, Many of Us Were in Tears. The Remembering Srebrenica event was a powerful reminder of what hate, marginalisation, divisive rhetoric and fear can create on Europe's doorstep. The genocide of over 8,700 mostly Bosnian men and boys has left a permanent scar on Europe's psyche. Harrowing words from survivor and best-selling author Mirsad Selakovic left all of us speechless and many in tears. Humbling prayers were received from the Interfaith Forum, from members of the Christian, Muslim, Jewish faiths and those of no faith. Together they showed us that we have the powers to stop this from happening again. 
but our compassion and care must extend to all and must not be limited to only those who we know or have an affiliation to or those who are most visible in the media. Compassion, to be truly realised, must by its very nature extend to all of those who are suffering, those in war or those who are tortured at the hands of a tyrant or those facing constant oppression, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, gender or sexual orientation. We are all members of the same human family. Values of tolerance, patience and acceptance are synonymous with the British public and the city of Worcester. The beauty of living here is that we pull together in times of adversity and we celebrate as one in times of achievement. Those that seek to divide will never fulfil that ambition, so long as there is a spirit of unity, care and compassion which exists in abundance in this faithful city. I was humbled by the overwhelming support that the Bishop and Dean of Worcester, as well as many others, showed me when I invited them to the Guildhall for tea earlier this week. It was a beautiful meeting filled with goodness and positive intent. It showed what we're good at, building bridges, not walls, making friends, not enemies, spreading love, not hate. Stay happy, positive, smile and make someone's day. And now an update on the Lonely Report, excuse me, <coughs> on the damaged giraffe. A coffee house owner is hoping to make Worcester's residents smile by replacing the empty plinth where the city's beloved Gregory the giraffe stood with an inflatable dinosaur. David Lane, aged 31, his partner Charlotte Good, 25, and his sister Keely, Hawk, Keely Hughes clubbed together to buy the £12.99 Tyrannosaurus, which is affectionately named Dave, as a gesture to residents on Wednesday. Mr Lane, who runs Coffee 45 on the tithing with Miss Good, placed the dinosaur on the plinth on the cross near Pret. He said, it's just nice. Even if we won't make just one person smile a day, that's the point of it. We saw that the giraffe had to be removed so it could be repaired because it had been damaged. It had been so nice to see people and their kids looking at the giraffes, taking photographs and enjoying them. So when I found out one had been damaged and had to be removed, then there was just one bare plinth. We wanted to put an inflatable giraffe there. However, we couldn't find a giraffe. But a quick search on Argos found an inflatable dinosaur. So we got that instead. It's not the first per item to be placed on the empty plinth, as previously a small plastic toy giraffe was left there. Yesterday, we reported how West Mercia police said a man had admitted knocking over Worcester Stand's tall giraffe sculpture on Tuesday, July the 17th. Following the incident, the giraffe was removed and readers took to our Facebook to voice their anger. Michelle Korn said, Shame, drunken idiots find it funny to spoil and damage them. I hope they're made to pay for it. Shame on you. Ashley Bishton said, Low-life utter scum. Can't we bring back stocks and put the people who did this into the stocks and have the public throw old food at them? The giraffe is part of the Worcester Stands Tall Art Trail, a project to raise money for St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 Appeal to expand his premises. Sarah Matthews, project manager for Worcester Stands Tall, said thank you to the people who put Dave the dinosaur on Gregory's empty plinth. It certainly brought a smile to our faces. However, please don't get too attached to him, as we're hoping Gregory will be back on the trail in all his glory early next week. We'd like to thank our friends at JMB Polishers in Pershaw, who have worked to repair him. 
we have been overwhelmed by kind messages of support from the public and would like to thank everyone for their patience. Well, that concludes our local news stories uh, for the moment. We won't have time for any sport. And I shall begin with something that appeared in the sports section. But in fact, I think it was probably one of those articles that could be crossed over into ordinary news. So I'll start with this. Um, And I have to confess an interest in this particular story because I've met the person concerned. So I'll read on and explain at the end. The headline is Ted 90, not ready to give up tennis. Ted Hooker says he's not ready to hang up his racket just yet after celebrating his 90th birthday at Worcester Lawn Tennis Club. Since moving to Worcester six years ago, Hooker joined the Northwick Club. That means he joined at 84. It's impressive, isn't it? And still plays twice a week with his wife, Mary. About 50 members turned out to celebrate Hooker's birthday before he went back on court to showcase his skills. It was the best birthday party I could have possibly imagined, Hooker said. We've made so many friends through the tennis club and it was a gorgeous event for us all. There were about 50 people there. We had a very nice lunch and people said some kind words. I played tennis with my daughter and my wife played with my son-in-law, so everybody seemed to enjoy it. Hooker said he only started taking tennis seriously when he was in his 30s and went on to be a coach at Chipstead in Kent until the age of 70. And tennis is not the only sport Ted Hooker has tasted success in, as he's won numerous swimming competitions for Kent and for the Royal Air Force. He also swam competitively in his 70s, becoming the British champion in a 100-metre freestyle at the age of 74. He says, Swimming was very rewarding, but I was having to spend a lot of time training to keep it up. I was having to do five miles a week at that time, and it was impinging on my tennis. And he continues to say, my wife is very good for me. She insists I exercise every day and we still play tennis twice a week. So hopefully I can keep that going. My wife's backhand has actually got better in the past few years and she's 83. Well, I had the um, pleasure of meeting both Ted and his wife, Mary, about two weeks ago and neither of them looked their age. And if I can look like that when I'm in my 80s and 90s, I will be very, very pleased. Uh, Here's a story about the Worcester Warriors. Worcester Warriors stepped up their preparations for the new Premiership season with a week-long training block in Spain. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons and his players flew out to Valencia on Sunday, July 8th for the camp before returning to Worcester five days later. During their time in Spain, Warriors squad endured temperatures exceeding 30 degrees. But Solomons and his new coaches Rory Duncan and Neil Doak were keen to put their men through their paces. Francois Vonte, Duncan Weir and Ashley Beck were among Worcester's summer signings who got the chance to work closely with their new teammates and coaching staff. Academy duo Ollie Lawrence and Ted Hill also attended the gruelling camp, along with Bryce Heem and Ben Teo, who were overcoming small surgical procedures on their quad muscles. Warriors are gearing up for their pre-season friendly against Benetton in Italy on Friday, August the 10th. They're also due to face Hart Puri at Six Ways on Saturday, August the 18th, while Solomons is planning for his team to take on Mosley in a friendly ahead of the upcoming Premiership campaign, which starts on September the 1st. And now some cricket. About time I hear you say. The headline runs, Ashwin back for the run-in. 
India, Indian Star's county return. Indian star Ravichandran Ashwin is returning to Worcestershire for the climax of the 2018 campaign. The county have signed the off-spinner for the final two Specsavers County Championship matches against Essex at Chelmsford and Yorkshire at Blackfinch New Road. The 31-year-old will link up with the county at the conclusion of India's current tour of England to replace Wayne Parnell as the county's overseas player. Ashwin made a big impact on and off the field after being signed for the final four championship matches of last summer in helping the county gain promotion to Division 1. He picked up 20 wickets. No, I've lost the place. Including two five-wicket hauls and also made crucial runs with a bat at number six and averaged 42. In addition, Ashwin made an impact in the dressing room and fitted in well with the rest of the squad. He said at his conclusion at the conclusion of his spell that he would love to come back and that the tightly knit dressing room is one I will cherish forever. The club have been keen to sign from Ashwin for many months and received the green light from the Board of Control of India. County CEO Matt Rawnsley, who has played a major role in negotiations, said, We are delighted to have Ashwin coming back for what could be a key part of the season. He is one of the best spinners in world cricket, and the influence he had when he was here last season cannot be underestimated. The lads, I think he means overestimated, the lads all speak so highly of him, the impact he had on the field and the way he slotted in so well off the pitch, and he was willing to offer advice to our spinners like Ben Tuhig. Kevin Sharp is delighted to have Ashwin coming back and I would like to thank our Vice Chairman Tim Curtis for the part he played in the negotiations before I arrived here. Sharp said Ashwin is world class and he loves playing his cricket at Worcestershire. And now a bright future for Malvern Town Football Club. Malvern Town Football Club has been granted a new 25-year lease which will help it unlock a £1 million investment in new facilities. The club's plans for the future include expanding the number of junior, girls and women's teams, training new and higher level coaches and attracting better players. But to do so, it needs to replace the grass playing surface with an artificial pitch and upgrading its changing facilities to FA standards. Some £700,000 of grant funding from the Football Foundation is available, but only if the club can prove it has a long-term lease on the HD Anywhere Stadium at Langland Road to give it some certainty. Malvern Hills District Council owns the ground after buying it in August 2014. Since then, the club has been on short-term leases to allow it to finalise its plans. At a council executive committee meeting on Tuesday, it was agreed to grant the 25-year lease, which will not only release the grant funding, but will also allow an application for another £250,000 linked to planning agreements known as Section 106 money. The club will also raise £50,000 towards the project and the council will help with the design and build of the changing room facilities and revamp. Off the pitch, the new agreement will allow the club to build on its range of community projects such as providing activities for young people and holiday sports camps. Councillor Paul Cumming, responsible for finance on the council, said the success of the England team at the World Cup has highlighted the positive power of football to us all. We have been very impressed by the hard work and dedication of those involved with Malvern Till. Morvan Town Football Club, 
and their plans for the future. The granting of this lease is a demonstration of this council's commitment to investing in health and well-being across this district and giving our residents opportunities to take part in sport and be active. Club chairman Chris Pinder said, From being effectively bankrupt in 2013 to gaining a 25-year lease on a brand new £1 million stadium in just five years is a gargantuan achievement. The club has been given incredible support from Morven Hills District Council and the Football Association and I can't wait to cut the ribbon to our brilliant new stadium in 2020. Uh, We don't often have articles about racing. This is a very short one. Um, It's Irish Eyes Smile on Worcester. Irish night at Pitchcroft last week was well attended and enjoyed by those who ventured down to spend a balmy race evening on the banks of the River Severn, entertained by the tunes of the Wild Murphys. The success on the track certainly belonged to trainer Alan King, who sent three horses to Worcester and all won under regular stable jockey Wayne Hutchinson. King's latest wins put him in third place in this year's trainer's table, behind Peter Bowen, who also had a winner on the card, and current leader, Dan Skelton. Right, um, a football article now. System suits players, says Harrier's boss. Manager Neil McFarland has been pleased with how his commitments to Harrier's players have adapted to a new system in pre-season. The new boss at Agborough has switched to playing with three at the back during friendlies with Aston Villa and Burton Albion and is keen to stick to the formation. Harriers continue their pre-season programme at home to Birmingham City today, 3pm. That's today, last Saturday. They put in a promising show in a 2-1 home loss to League One side Burton on Tuesday when summer signing Ed Williams scored. The game saw last season's top scorer Joe Ironside, defender Joel Taylor and new midfielder James Baxendale all feature after injury. McFarlane said, We need to be flexible as the season goes on and have the ability to switch our system, which is something we'll be working on. The players have adapted well to it and seem to be enjoying it. There's lots of work to be done on the training pitch, but at the moment it's giving us the freedom to express ourselves while also allowing us to be solid and know our jobs when we don't have the ball. Other friendlies today see Hereford playing Newport County, Morvett visiting Newent and Droitwich Spa entertaining Cadbury Athletic Reserves. Well, I'm sure there'll be more sport when football and rugby start anew, uh, but we're going to move on now to some radio selections um, if that suits everybody. Uh, have you had time, Catherine, yeah. to have a little yeah. look? So um, Catherine will kick off with picking up a couple of ideas for it starts on Saturday. That's right, Saturday the 28th. OK. So here are a couple of items that I think um, will be very interesting on radio this coming Saturday. The first one is the BBC Proms uh, on Radio 3 at 7.30 and the concert on Saturday night Um, which, of course, comes from the Royal Albert Hall, um, features Beethoven, two Beethoven symphonies, uh, Symphony No. 2 in the first half of the concert and Symphony No. 5 in the second half of the concert. And in the interval, um, there will be some comic readings from literature to tie in with Beethoven's penchant for musical jokes, which should be interesting. Um, rather at the same time so if, if you are interested in this in both of what I'm, I'm recommending then you probably need to do some recording I think but at 8.05 on BBC World Service a programme called The Forum 
This is a programme about 17th century Swedish monarch Gustavus Adolphus. Um, and he was overjoyed to learn his wife had given birth to a son and heir. Not long after, he was advised there had been a mistake over the baby's gender and she was actually a girl. Um, and this probably goes some way to explain why Christina was brought up like a prince. In this programme, Bridget Kendall and guests trace the life of this unconventional and clever royal focusing on the Queen's gripping story after abdication. Converting to Catholicism, she made a triumphal entry into Rome in 1655. So she did. Right, I'm looking at Sunday and I've picked out two things here. One is a piece of drama, Radio 4, 3 o'clock, to the ends of the earth, 2,000 leagues under the sea. And I'll read you what it says about it. This rollicking adventure may have been published in 1870, but Jules Verne can only be admired for his foresight when it came to developments in the nautical world. Not only does he set the majority of the action on a luxurious high-tech submarine, which were pretty basic at the time, but also has the vessel powered by electricity. The tragic villain of the piece, Captain Nemo, is probably more famous these days as a cartoon fish. But the empathetic dramatisation reminds us that this underwater dictator has had life-altering sorrows of his own. My sole complaint is that there is just not enough of the giant squid. So overcoming that problem, we move to Radio 4 at 10.15 on Saturday, and that's Margaret Macmillan. I don't know if you've been listening to Margaret Macmillan during the Ruth lectures, but she's a very good speaker. She's been looking at war, and this is the final episode where she looks at how war is uh, remembered and represented in art, and looks at the paradox of the commemoration of horror and death in something such as art. That's 10.15, the Ruth lectures on Saturday. And now we move to Monday, um, and I have on Radio Two um, the Sirius Matthews Blue. Um, sorry, the Radio Two Rock Show with Johnny Walker, the veteran BBC disc jockey, showcases the cream of rock from across the decades, including his A to Z of rock, in which he draws from the archives for bite-sized alphabetical guide to the genre, plus one especially long rock recording of top rock stars and discussing their influences. And if you prefer something else, but possibly rather heavy, um, this is the 7.30 concert of the BBC Proms at BBC Radio 3 at 7.30, um, which presents Katie Mollison presents tonight's concert from the Royal Albert Hall. Sonic drama is the order of the day. The Alps feature not only in Strauss's symphony, but in the concerto by George Frederick Haas, in the form of four enormous wooden Alp horns. The four instrumental groups of Mozart's unfinished serenade are placed around the hall for maximoacoustic drama. And the Hornrone Modern Alphorn Quartet the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, conductor Ilan Volkov, and Mozart's Nocturnal in D, Kirkel 286, and George Frederick Haas, Concerto Grosso No. 1, first UK performance. That should be interesting. So a couple of suggestions here for uh, Tuesday the 31st of July. The first one is on BBC Radio 4, at 9.45 in the morning on Longwave, 
daily service. This sounds a bit heavy, but I think it could be very interesting. I'll read you what it says. In 1212, a young noblewoman from Assisi approached a local preacher and dedicated her life to God. She gave up her, possess- her possessions and lived a life of simplicity. This woman was to become St. Clair of Assisi, the founder of the Order of St. Clair, and the first woman to write a rule for religious life. Francis- Franciscan friar brother Eunan McMullen leads a reflection on St. Clair from the church of San Damiano in Assisi with music by Cantos Chamber Choir. Something a little bit more light-hearted, but also on Radio 4. This is at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. A new series, Whatever Happened To. In this, Lauren Laverne follows the twists and turns in the lives of three people who spent an intense period of time together and then went their separate ways. Today, she tells the story of three students who studied drama at the poor school in North London in 1993 and then had a crack at the big time. Where did they end up and what took them there? It sounds like one for all you further education students out there. Um, when we're looking at um, Wednesday the 1st of August and um, on Radio 4 in the afternoon, the drama is a new series um, at 2.15, the first of four episodes, um, and it's called Tommy's. It's about the 1st of August 1918. It's a drama by Neil Brand, illustrating the events of a real day at war exactly 100 years ago to the day. In the first episode, Mickey's big deception plan could change the course of the war, but the arrival of soldier son Jack and WAAC controller sister Avadni complicates matters. Um, Moving on to the evening at nine o'clock on Radio 2. There's a very interesting looking programme um, introduced by Christopher Biggins, where he's looking at um, double acts, comic double acts. And this, at this, in this programme, he's looking at the Waters family in London's East End, which produced three of the biggest stars of the 1940s and 50s, Jack Warner, and his sisters Elsie and Doris Waters. Elsie and Doris, as Gert and Daisy, um, created a quirky observational style of comedy that was picked up by many female comics that followed, notably Victoria Wood. It should sound as if it's very would be both interesting and very funny, I should think. Right. Two things from Radio 4, because that's the only page I've got in front of me. Um, the first is is headed or entitled rather, "Did the Victorians ruin the world?" I think we know what the answer to that is, but it's looking at squirrels of all things. Uh, Helen and Cat Arnie explore ideas, innovations, and inventions from the Victorian era that had a de- detrimental effect, beginning with the introduction of grey squirrels. Now, I've never seen a red squirrel, and I try very hard so to do. So, if it is the Victorians' fault then yes, it is uh, their ruination of the world. There's also an open country uh, programme on Lundy. Now, when I was a child and used to holiday in Porth Call, we used to catch a steamer and try and land on Lundy, but twice the weather was so bad that we couldn't do it. So I'm going to listen to this. It says, Lundy Island is a granite outcrop in the Bristol Channel whose inhabitants have included pirates and outlaws. Now trail runners are exploring its narrow paths in the first Lundy half-marathon. 
which I imagine means going round and round an awful lot of times. David Lindo joins them to discover why runners are drawn to the island and to observe its rare wildlife. So that's Thursday, Open Country, 3 o'clock, Radio 4. And we go to Friday now. And on BBC Radio 3, if you can stay up till 10.15, there is Square Dance in Heaven. A Protestant Reformation has traditionally been regarded as the triumph of the word, making a decisive shift from a visual and sensual culture to a literary one. But for Martin Luther, music, with its power to move emotions, was an inexpressible miracle, second only to theology. The Reverend Lucy Winkett, a trained singer and Bach enthusiast, takes the listener on a musical tour of the Reformation, featuring music specially recorded for this programme with the choir of Gonville and Keys College in Cambridge, under the direction of Geoffrey Webber. And we move on to Radio 4, and at 8 o'clock, any questions from Mersey Island in Essex, with Ritula Shah on the chair, and a panel including critical theorist Jermaine Greer, Professor of Politics Matt Godwin and former Cabinet Minister Priti Patel. That should be an interesting one, I think. Well, thank you all. Um, I'm now going to read the obituaries and I want to apologise in advance because some of these notices, um, the funerals have already taken place. There isn't anything we can do about that, but I will read them out anyway so that everyone is aware of um, who has passed away. So, starting with Stook. Kenneth Vivian of Kidderminster, peacefully at home on July the 5th, funeral service at St George's Church, Kidderminster, at 12.30 on Thursday, July the 26th, followed by cremation at Wire Forest Crematorium. San Stam- sorry, Stan Sansom, passed away July the 17th, age 91, funeral at Clanes Church on August the 2nd at 2.15pm, followed by private cremation. Eric Buckley of Droitwich slipped away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on July the 10th, aged 91. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 30th at 10.45am. William Bill Bernard Davis passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on June the 29th, aged 87. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, July the 25th at 12.15pm. Royston Hancocks, known as Roy, passed away peacefully on July the 7th, aged 75 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 26th at 10am. Kathleen, Kathleen Dorothy Hill passed peacefully away on July the 5th, aged 97 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 30th at 2.30pm. Sheila Humphreys sadly passed away on June the 29th, aged 82. A funeral service to celebrate her life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, July the 27th at 2.30pm. Judith Lewis, known as Judy, of Fernal Heath, formerly of Troutbeck Drive, Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on July the 10th, aged 71. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, August the 6th at 11.30am. Arthur Overton of Great Whitley passed away peacefully at home on July the 8th, aged 77 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 31st at 12.15pm. 
Stanley Albert Ballard passed away peacefully after a bravely fought illness on July the 7th, aged 81. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August the 3rd at 12.15pm. Elizabeth Blake passed away on July the 8th, aged 79. A funeral service to celebrate her life will take place at St George's RC Church on Monday, July the 10th at 10am, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium. John Raymond Mudge passed away peacefully on July the 4th, aged 80 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 30th at 1pm. Frederick Thomas Rochelle died on the 12th of July. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, July the 27th at 12.15pm. Alfred Sidney Cripps passed away peacefully on July the 19th, aged 95 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 1st at 11.30am. Bruce Neath of Southall Avenue, Worcester, passed away peacefully on Thursday, July the 12th, aged 74. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 1st at 1pm. Joan Marjorie Ina Turley of Seabright Avenue, Worcester, passed away peacefully on Saturday, July the 14th, aged 98 years. Funeral service at St Martin's Church, London Road, on Monday, July the 30th at 10.30am followed by interment at St John's Cemetery at 11.30am. So that concludes the obituaries. Uh, I'd like to ask Catherine to open the birthday file, please. Uh, two birthdays to celebrate this week. It's happy birthday to Ruth Riddell on the 28th of July and happy birthday to Joan Lowe on the 2nd of August. Have a wonderful birthday. And Phil, would you like to do thought for the day for us? I would. It's a pleasure, yes. Uh, This one is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So that concludes tonight's recording. I'd just like to say a thank you on behalf of the team to our recording engineer, Duncan Wynn, and he's waving goodbye to you all. Yep, Thank you, Duncan. And uh, just goes for the team to say goodbye to you. So that's you. goodbye from me, Catherine. And from me, Phil. And from me, Jane. And hopefully we might see some of you at the 40th anniversary party on Saturday. The Commandery, 2.30 to 4.30. Be there.